Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verses 12 to 14. Let me remind you of those verses that we read earlier. Uh, Paul says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the words without fear. There are a few books that have truly stood the test of time, but one that has uh, is one that I'm sure you'll know and love. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Since 1678, it has never been out of print. It is, if you wanted to read it, in 200 different languages. And uh, and yet it came from very humble beginnings. It was actually written in a prison cell. Uh, the Puritan author John Bunyan had been locked up for the crime of sharing the gospel. But one day he was given a get out of jail free cards, which was just stop preaching. To which Bunyan apparently replied, release me today and I will preach tomorrow. In fact, he didn't even wait for his release to continue his ministry, but he took it to the courtyard of the jail where he would then gather many of the inmates together and they would hold Bible studies and he would preach to them about the message of Jesus Christ until uh, the guards getting so frustrated by his insistence, they threw him into solitary confinement. And yet it was in that quiet spot that Bunyan spoke the loudest as he put pen to paper to record the epic allegorical tale of a man en route to heaven, Pilgrim's Progress, a a work that many of us know and love, as I've mentioned. And what may have seemed like a a great setback for the Christian church actually became the very means by which God built the church and and encouraged uh, fearful believers. But you know, don't you, that that is not just Bunyan's testimony. In fact, he's just one of uh, many great heroes of the faith who, through history, uh, have been used so greatly by God through their experience of suffering to advance the reach of the gospel. And as we turn our attention this evening to the opening chapter of the epistle uh, to the Philippians, we see that same pattern working out, don't we? Paul is himself in prison. And he's writing while he's chained up under house arrest in Rome. He's been accused of the very same crime that Bunyan was accused of, preaching the gospel. And so the church at Philippi, who had been planted about a decade or so before this event, they had caught wind of what was going on and they were very fearful. The news had had filtered back to them. Uh, about his arrests and his trials before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. They'd heard the reports. They knew that he had been falsely charged and almost lynched by a mob and made the object of a deadly plot and shipwrecked at sea and now facing possible execution. Acts chapter 21 uh, gives us more of the backgrounds. 2 Corinthians 11 uh, tells us more of the details, but uh, all in all, you would be hard-pressed, wouldn't you? to find a single man in recorded history who has suffered so much over so many years. Uh, Paul was a man well acquainted with difficulty. And of all of the epic stories that you can think of, of men and women who have endured affliction, 
I don't think many could rival the level to which this man faced since his conversion to Christ. And the Philippians, having heard of this catalogue of trials, as I say, they were understandably concerned. In fact, they were shaking. They were anxious. They were afraid. They were perhaps saying to one another, what's, what's, what's happened to our brother? And uh, what does that mean for us as a congregation? And so the church chose to dispatch a man named Epaphroditus to, to sail across and to risk his life to come to Rome to bring gifts to Paul and to receive back word about his situation. And Paul is, is so moved by their love and their affection and concern that he sends Epaphroditus back with a letter containing the very, very words that are recorded uh, in our Bibles this evening. The very words that Paul wrote from his imprisonment are here upon our laps this evening. And you don't have to read very far through the letter to recognize that this is an epistle of joy, isn't it? It's a, it's a letter of thanks for the church that held such a special place uh, within his heart. And you could just imagine the uh, the size of relief throughout the city of Philippi as the church sat on the edge of their seats as the letter was read aloud and they heard that Paul was okay. He was all right. In fact, that's an understatement. He was doing more than okay, wasn't he? He was rejoicing. Yes, he's stuck in prison. No, he doesn't know if he'll ever be released. But here, at the start of verse 12, Paul puts the Philippians' minds to rest by saying, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That is the lesson that I want us to learn from this evening, that our setbacks and our trials may be the very means of God's unfolding plans in the world. We may be locked up in chains figuratively or even literally, but the gospel is not chained. And so let us work through these uh, three verses together in sequence. Firstly, in verse 12, Paul's ob- observation is that the gospel is gaining control. The gospel is gaining control. The, the good news of Jesus Christ in the face of such opposition in the most unlikely of places is spreading further and wider than ever before. In July 1945, uh, Winston Churchill, uh, having uh, courageously led our nation through some of the most uh, turbulent years of history, uh, having been the, the mastermind behind the Allies' defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime, was uh, surprisingly, at the next election, voted out of power. And apparently, as the election result was being announced, his wife, who was by his side, turned to him and said, don't worry, dear, it may be a blessing in disguise. To which Churchill famously replied, well, if it is, it is certainly very well disguised. And uh, life can sometimes feel a bit like that, can't it? It's not always easy to see the bright sides. And, and that is Paul's present situation. He's imprisoned in Rome. He's been deprived of his freedom. He's been prevented from continuing on his missionary journey. Uh, many had forgotten him. Many had abandoned him. It's uh, the kind of scenario where we might say, if this is a blessing in disguise, it is certainly very well disguised. You think of all the places that he could have gone. 
Think of all the, the, the people that he, had, he would reach all across the known world. Think of how effective his ministry could have been if he had been released. How many souls might Paul have won for Christ if he was let loose? I don't think there's any way if we were the ones controlling the narrative that we would have put Paul in prison. And yet this is, uh, this is the sovereign will of God, isn't it? And, and Paul's conclusion here in verse 12 is, is so unexpected. You see, counterintuitively, he is not without hope in his cell. His external situation has had no effect upon his internal disposition. Maybe you're a sports fan. Uh, you've got your football team and you like to watch them regularly and you've got that star player, you know, the one who, who stands out above the rest. He's the one who scores all the goals. He's, he's, he's the key player on the pitch. But maybe one time you're watching him and he gets injured and stretched off to the sidelines and now you and all the fans are wondering how on earth are the team going to go on without him? He's the star player. And I think in a spiritual sense, that is maybe how we tend to view the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul himself doesn't have that perspective. He doesn't view himself as the star player on God's team, but he's humbly and profoundly aware that even the best of men are men at best. Yes, God uses us, but no, God does not need us. In fact, as we see here, the Lord might sometimes even sideline his hardest workers to show the world that he can do the work of the gospel without them. Now, we have the blessing, don't we, of knowing the end of the story? Uh, but the Philippian church, they they didn't. There seemed to be no happy ending. Uh, there, there seemed to be no silver lining. And yet instead of offering up to them these empty cliches like, well, I, I guess everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? No, Paul wants them to know that God is at work. This is not God making the best out of a bad situation, but this is purposeful. It's not accidental. God, from the beginning of time, purposed these trials for good. He's sovereignly ordained for, for Paul's humiliation to result in Christ's exaltation. And, and that is something that is very easy for us to accept when we're not the ones at the receiving end of the trial, isn't it? When life is, is smooth and easy, these truths, they, they make sense to us, don't they? After all, we, we see it at the cross. Something tragic, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, secured something glorious, the salvation for sinners like us. And yet, what about when the shoe is on the other foot? And what about when you're Paul? And what about when you're in the dark tunnel and there seems to be no light at the end of it? Have we got a Pauline perspective? What might our letter say if we were the ones addressing the church? I have to say, much to my shame, that if it was me, I might be tempted to fill it with some, some bitter complaints, a list of things that had gone wrong, times that I had been unjustly treated and harshly dealt with. Because, you know, sometimes when we're the ones facing trials, it's it's a bit like having our, our faces pressed up to a stained glass window. Can you imagine such a thing? You're there. You've seen them, those beautiful stained glass windows. And if you're right up close to it, uh, you, you can't tell what's going on. It just looks like a, 
a, a random splash of colours. It's disjointed and messy. But what happens when you take some steps back and the light catches it? Well, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's a thing of, of, of beauty and it's a masterpiece. And so it is with our sufferings. Sometimes when we're right in the thick of it and life gets on top of us, it's like our faces being pressed up to that stained glass window. It doesn't make sense. We don't see the bigger picture. But sometimes with years, maybe with a whole lifetime, or maybe not until we get to glory, we can step back and we can see that God was at work like a master craftsman. He was weaving all those difficulties to make a beautiful picture. And that's what Paul has identified, that God, like a skillful artist, has has, has worked gospel good through his imprisonment. And his exhortation to the Philippians, as it is for us today, is that we must step back and we must see the bigger picture, which is now actually being revealed to him. And what is that bigger picture? Well, we've already seen it. It is the progress of the gospel. God has decreed that every effort to obstruct the growth of the gospel is actually the very means by which the gospel would flourish. And Paul, so intoxicated by the gospel, so driven by the mission, so devoted to the Lord, essentially says, my chains are irrelevant. There are no why me's, are there? But there is only this joyful acknowledgement that God's plan of advancing the gospel, not his own life, but the gospel is the big picture. And Paul's saying, look, I'll, I'll be a link in a chain for that grand purpose. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think about it, that Paul, like Bunyan, he only needed to stop preaching Christ. And many of those charges would have been dropped and maybe he would have even been released. But he is not a man to compromise, is he? His heart is set on the gospel. He's no longer that old man, is he? A raging, persecuting, Christian-hating Pharisee bent on destroying Christ's church. No, on that Damascus road, something happened. He, he met with the risen Jesus Christ and his life was never the same, was it? And he is now very literally, as he says later on in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, or earlier rather in Ephesians 6, 20, an ambassador in chains. Even under lock and key, uh, he is standing to attention on his master's duty to serve and to defend the gospel of Christ. And it, and it really begs the question, doesn't it? Uh, what about us? What about you? What about me? What are maybe the people who love you most and know you best say about your life and priorities? Uh, many people today, I don't think it's a particularly new thing, but you hear about it a lot today. Uh, they have a bucket list. And they've got uh, a whole list of things that they want to do before they die, places they want to see, things that they want to achieve. And uh, there, there are a whole bunch of different things, aren't there, on people's bucket lists today. But I wonder where, where the gospel fits in in yours. I wonder what's your priority in life. I wonder what takes a precedence in, in, your, uh, in your life. You might have heard the name of the pioneer missionary, David Livingstone, uh, who was uh, sent to Africa 
many years ago and at times apparently would have to to hack his way through jungle and undergrowth so that he could reach the unreached people groups with the gospel of Christ. And, and really that's kind of what verse 12 is saying. All of these things that would ordinarily hinder the gospel are actually just clearing and advancing and pioneering their way through so that Christ might be preached to the unreached. In fact, Paul's not just being vague here, is he? He doesn't say, I imagine all these things will somehow have the potential for good. But he knows it. He's got certainty. He he sees that there is clear evidence that the gospel is gaining control from the from what we read in these following verses. So let's go secondly to verse 13. The gods are getting converted. The gods are getting converted. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. The first of two ways in which uh, Paul could be certain of the furtherance of the gospel is, is here. That though he, as the messenger, may be in chains, the message is advancing outside the Christian church. The gospel is not chained. The emperor, uh, the, the members of the emperor's bodyguard, who were really the, the powers behind the throne at the time, many of them are being won to Christ. And as to how many believed, we can't be sure. There's not a, a tally of, of how many people came to, to faith. But what we can be sure of is that some of them did. Because if you go to the end of the letter, look at the end of chapter four, how he closes this epistle. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Can you imagine being made to wait under house arrest for two whole years and to have upon your wrists uh, 18-inch chains that, that never came off. In fact, it's worse for Paul here because he's not chained up to a wall, is he? But he's, because of the uh, the apparent danger and threat that he posed to society, uh, he's chained to a, a rotating Praetorian guard 24-7. There he is, chained up to another person. And every six hours, four shifts a day, one of these 9,000 guards would swap over and the history book tells us that these were the military elites. These were the best of the best. They were handpicked by the emperor. They were entitled to better pay and pensions and perks and the rest of uh, the soldiers in the Roman army. Uh, and these were the men who were assigned to Paul. But, but Paul, rather than licking his wounds and feeling sorry for himself, is seizing the gospel opportunity, isn't he? In fact, knowing him as we do, you can just imagine as a new guard is brought into his cell and they're fastened together in chains, there's just this, this big smile upon his face. And a prayer of thanks. Ah, here is another one who cannot get away. You talk about, about a captive audience. That's what Paul has got here. Around the clock, on each shift, Paul is chained up to a new congregation. He had hundreds of opportunities to share the gospel with those who were coming to him and who could not get away from him. Paul could not have dreamed this up or planned it any better, could he? Uh, sometimes we're, and it was encouraging to hear our brother talk about uh, your work in the open air. We uh, love open air preaching down at Folkestone as well. 
And uh, sometimes when we're there, uh, you see people taking a glance at the boards, know what's going on, and they're in the other direction. They they don't want to know about it. And sometimes we wish that we could have such an opportunity that Paul had to be chaining them up to ourselves so we can we can tell them the gospel before they run off. We want to give them the, the full picture that, yes, they're a sinner en route to hell, but through Jesus Christ, they can be saved. Well, that's the message that Paul is is preaching to these soldiers. See, if he had been preaching out in the marketplaces or on the streets, well, the the gospel may have gone to many places, but but never quite like this. You notice that, that Paul has a, a pipeline into Caesar's household because as soon as these elite bodyguards are released, they go straight back into Caesar's house. And so uh, the good news is spreading like wildfire within the palace guard. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? Early in the morning, late at night, there is Paul unpacking the word of God to these unbelieving soldiers, sharing his personal testimony, explaining to them the way to be saved. And then you could just think of the, maybe I'm hypothesizing too much here, but you could just imagine the the follow-up conversations in the barracks amongst the soldiers as they say to one another, have you done a shift over at Paul's prison yet? Never have we met a prisoner quite like this. This was the effect of Paul's prison ministry. He is chained up, but he's more free than ever before. A door of opportunity has opened up for him. And now he is able to witness to these military elites, these proud men, and gradually, day by day, notice them being transformed by his ministry. Uh, there's a there's a phrase going viral, which used to mean a great success. That's the big aim of media advertisements. I think it's got a slightly different connotation now through the the course of this pandemic, we don't rejoice in something going viral now, do we? But but here, in, in, the, in the best sense of all, we see the gospel going viral, don't we? And wouldn't we love to just hear the conversation between Paul and the guards? What kind of things would he have been saying to them? What passages would he have been taking them to? And yet, though we can only guess, we can be sure that the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension And the coming again of Jesus Christ was central to everything that he shared. Paul never wasted an opportunity with any soldier. He was always on the ball, answering every question, defending every objection. And yet more than all of this, it wasn't just Paul's words, was it? But it was Paul's life that spoke volumes to these men. You see, his behavior matched his message. There was a consistency about this man. Something set him up uh, 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 head and shoulders above the rest. He was in chains, and yet he was so full of this unexplainable, infectious joy. As he says here in verse 13 to the Philippians, it became known to these guards that his chains were not in Caesar, but in Christ. Do you notice that? These are Caesar's chains in a sense. But Paul is not going to give credit to Rome. No, these are Christ's chains. Christ has put me here, he's saying, by divine appointment. This was his purpose. And those chains that were designed to keep Paul bound up and silenced, what a wonderful irony, they're the very means by which the gospel 
is let loose and proclaimed. As we read in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph, as he's brought face to face with the brothers who had sold him into slavery, said what men intend for evil, God meant for good. Or as Paul will later go on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Through apparent setbacks, the gospel advances to the gods. And I wonder, friends, when when you are presented with unexpected chances to speak the gospel, do you do it? Is the good news of great joy for all people? Is it your best kept secret? Or is it your most widely known message? Does the name of Jesus ever get a mention in your conversation? So you taking full advantage of your captive audiences that God has sovereignly put in your life. I don't think any of us, I can say this with uh, quite a degree of certainty that any of us will ever be chained to a Roman soldier. But maybe some of you this evening do feel that you are in chains in a sense. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a boring desk job. Maybe it's a difficult relationship. Maybe it's a sick bed. Maybe it's a a seemingly endless struggle with a particular physical or mental illness. Whatever it might be, I believe God is saying to us through Paul today that though we may not know exactly why God has put us where he has, rather than despising our present location, we must see that the Lord is at work. And people who might otherwise never have come into contact with the gospel can be reached through our witness. And so are you, am I, like Paul, seizing these gospel opportunities? Well, the gospel is gaining control. The guards are getting converted. But thirdly, and finally in verse 14, uh, the congregation are growing in confidence. The congregation are growing in confidence. Uh, Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In the year 1555, uh, two English reformers, Latimer and Ridley, were standing back to back, about to be martyred and uh, burnt at the stake at the orders of Bloody Mary. And it was all, and this is a bit of a common theme, isn't it, throughout church history, because of their unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ, because they would not stop preaching the gospel. And it was said that as the executioner came to light the sacks of gunpowder with the flaming torch, the the gunpowder that was hanging around their necks, Latimer turned to his friend and said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, we shall this day Light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And we know, don't we, if we're familiar with the story, that it was from that spark that the cause of the Reformation began to spread like wildfire until it overtook much of the nation. In fact, even up to today, the example of these two Christian martyrs has been a source of of great encouragement and an example that has strengthened generations of Christian Christians to fearlessly hold fast to the gospel in the face of danger. Because you see, courage is contagious, isn't it? Courage is contagious. 
and hear the gospel that is spoken by Paul in his prison cell is not only advancing outside the Christian church, but there's this little reformation going on within the church. Inside the congregation, fearful believers are becoming bold ambassadors. You see, the first century Christians had been uh, very afraid, hadn't they? The church had been getting all kinds of regular reports of hostility that was being generated against them, and they knew that they were in the firing line. And so when they heard of Paul's experiences, maybe many of them were left thinking, well, we don't want that to be us. And so let's keep our heads down and let's keep our our mouths shut. Maybe let's uh, not do any evangelism this week, but let's put the barricades up and and, and pray that God would would do something without us. And yet as people begin to see with their own eyes just how influential Paul has been among the gods, they themselves have become emboldened to speak up. And maybe they're saying something to the effect of, well, if, if Paul can do it, even under house arrest, we can do it here on the outside. One man's faithful example has put the wind back in the sails of these people. Previously timid believers are now becoming bold for the faith. And so you see, don't you, that when we witness for the Lord, it it may not only be the unbelievers that you're helping, but believers inside the church. They may be watching you and learning from you as you witness and being spurred on to do the same. Uh, Many of us can think of names and faces of men and women who have been a source of inspiration in our life. Uh, Maybe you've got your heroes, uh, a well-known famous figure, or a a character from a book or a film, or maybe even a a friend or a, a family member. We've all got role models, people that we look up to and aspire to be. But you know, if you're a Christian this evening, we need to go a little deeper. And we need to think of people who have kindled and ignited a flame in our hearts towards evangelism and to and, and witness for the Lord in the world. And if you're drawing a blank and you've not got people like that this evening, then let me encourage you to perhaps pick up a missionary biography or, or read through the book of Acts and, 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 and talk to mature believers in the church who have walked the Christian path for many years faithfully. And then by the light of their example, ask the question, is that me? Am I that kind of Christian? Have I got people around me that I'm igniting to, 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 to witness for Christ in the world as lights in the darkness? That's got to be one of our chief aims, doesn't it? Not only reaching out to the lost, which uh, I hope you don't think that I'm discouraging you away from that. That is so vital, so important. It's fundamental to the Great Commission. But also we have to be equipping others, don't we? Fellow members, we want to be building them up, encouraging them to, to speak up for Jesus Christ. I wonder, is there a, is there a chain reaction going around Christ Baptist Church? This evening I've been, I've been really pointing back and I've been illustrating the courage of, of old believers. And we've seen it most especially, haven't we, see through through Paul's imprisonment in Philippians chapter one. But but let us not just admire these people, but let us resolve to follow in their footsteps. 
Let us be willing to put our hearts and our lives in service to the gospel, even if it means chains for us. And let us pray that God would advance his work in in Kreitsch and further afield, as he did all those years before in the city of Rome. And, and whatever setbacks and sufferings you and I may endure, let us take heart this evening because you know the Lord is working all these things together for the furtherance of the gospel and for the good of those who love him. Amen. Let's pray. Great God of heaven, we come before you thanking you for your work of mission. And Lord, we do recognize that it is your work. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we thank you that nonetheless you choose to use us, broken vessels, to declare your glory among the nations. And we do pray that this church and many others like it in this country and others around the globe would be bold ambassadors as Paul was for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you that whatever particular trial we are facing tonight, whatever suffering is weighing heavily upon us, we thank you that you are a God who cares and a God who who helps and a God who is able to sympathize with our weakness. And so, Lord, we do pray that we would not become discouraged uh, in these difficult days, but we would become encouraged and inspired to be lights in this dark world and to do it all for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.